today I spoke with Caroline Gaskin, a returning guest, and we, just like last time, got into all things homeopathy and menopause. And a lot of it is about, come on people, we need to talk about it. So please do check out Caroline. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Two, one. Hello. Welcome back. How are you? I'm good, thank you. The sun's out and that always makes you feel a bit better. Good to see you. Yeah, no, it's, it's well, it's the sun is out and I've got to be honest, I'm pleased the sun's out because the last couple of days have been a bit miserable. And mm -hmm. uh, But you actually, you were away, weren't you recently? Was it Isle of Man or...? No, I love Lundy, but yeah, you, you're absolutely right. I was there for a week doing uh, conservation work, which was most interesting. Sure. <laughs> I spent a day digging a hole. I've never spent a day digging a, digging a trench, actually. And um, I took a photo and someone said, that's a very neat trench. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, that, that's the thing, actually. I, I, back in the day, I did manual labour. And if you can dig a straight trench, you'll be amazed how appreciated people are of that. It was really interesting. Then we began to um, discover some ancient pottery, so it got really interesting. Oh, nice. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. and I knew what the pottery was as well because I'd done something called mudlarking on the shores of the Thames with a, with a good friend of mine about a year and a half ago. We went down on New Year's Day and found all these little pipe stems and some little pottery shards, and when I posted we were talking about social media recently when, when I posted my findings from mudlarking on um, Facebook, no, on Instagram, and said something about it. The person who wrote the book about mudlarking um, said, or somebody commented anyway, and said, that is slipware. It's a certain type of combed slipware. So when I dug this piece up on Lundy, I was able to say to the warden, this is actually quite an interesting piece, piece of pottery. <laughs> and it could, yeah, and it could be from as early as I think it's the 1600s. Bloody so, yeah. Um, yeah, you never know what happens when you dig a trench. <laughs> no, no, many a body has been found that way, as it turns out. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, we did come across bones, but we decided they were all sheep. <laughs> <laughs> so actually just like you were saying what well, before we were um as we were setting up to do this we were talking about the how social media helps us get that message across mm -hmm. and that one of the things that since our last podcast is how many people have kind of got in touch via a third party with questions about the menopause and again something we actually briefly talked about last time was how difficult it, it is that people feel talking about it and kind of what resources yeah. are out there that they can talk about it, especially like one of the questions that was given to me specifically was I didn't get the answers I wanted from the GP. So where do I go next? Yeah, exactly. Well, I think there's lots of layers of that conversation, aren't there? You know, so, so first off, um, do we feel comfortable talking about what's happening to us? You know, so, so, you know, with menopause, it's, like and one of the things that I kind of open on my my menopause group with I have a Facebook group. One of the things I open with was a quote I wrote somewhere 
about, you know, not really knowing what's happening. And does this mean that I'm going to lose my attractiveness, my womanliness, my, you know, just questions come up about your sexuality, about your capabilities as a mother, uh, all sorts of issues come up, which are really quite private. And, and what does it mean to not have those things? And it might have been a difficult journey for you actually get coming to those things, you know. So we if we talk about motherhood, obviously that could be, um, you know, did I want to have kids? Did I have kids? Was it difficult having kids? Did I decide not to have kids? You know, all those things come up with a massive melting pot of things that we mostly don't talk about, you know. So so I was reading a or I'm in the middle of reading a book. You know, when you read a book and you're like really don't want to do anything else I just want to read the book (laughs) yeah I do I do so I'm reading I'm reading um I think the title is close 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 music 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 boys 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 by Viv Albertine and I just can't put it down you know I'm amazed I made it to the podcast to be honest (laughs) because she's talking (laughs) she's talking about a time when I was growing up you know when music was changing massively but uh you know what she's what she's talking about in that, which I, I find actually one of the most interesting and intimate parts of the book, is the unfolding of women's um, sexuality, if you like, in the nineteen seventies, and how and how we were coming from actually quite a repressed place, and that it was very difficult to own certain things. We just didn't know we could own certain things. Yeah. So, so I'm finding the book fascinating from that point of view. And so there's this aspect of women's lives and men's, but where we come into our fertility and our sexuality, and then you get to menopause and suddenly all of that is changing. And for some women that can change very, very quickly. So things like, you know, loss of libido or suddenly finding hair in places that you've been trying not to have hair for a long time, or um, I don't know, all sorts of things that you question, you know. So for me, just a little anecdotal thing was at some point during perimenopause, this period of time before menopause, it can go on for sort of 10 years of subtle changes. I went through a deep period, probably only a few weeks of mourning, you know, because I wasn't going to be feeding any more babies how did that come up for me you know before a woman starts to when women have have breasts have got milk in and we're about to feed our new baby I don't know if you've had kids I have to ask you do you have kids no so so when (coughs) when you go just just for the record (laughs) I'm 47 and 48 this year I don't think I'll be having kids and I'm I'm one of those men not too late for a guy though but that's actually that's a very big (laughs) I think a very significant difference without trying to get off that part of the topic is that's the significant difference between men and women is most likely, you you know, that there's men that can father in their seventies, but just when people ask me, I've never wanted children. It's never been something I've wanted. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, um, you know, that is a huge thing. Your relationship to your fertility comes up for airing, you know, and what happened during that particular period of time is, I don't know who your listeners are, but <laughs> um, <clears throat> so what often happens to women? Yeah, what often happens to women before their periods is what we might label PMS or PMT, yeah. premenstrual tension, premenstrual syndrome, um, whatever comes into that vast yes. bucket. I of did a um, podcast on the menstrual cycle with a menstrual cycle coach, 
and Brilliant. she mentioned about a book that's something to do with the four seasons or something and it's to, yeah, to, to look yeah. at the and i'm sorry because i've been very clumsy because i can't remember exactly what it was called but it was <laughs> to look at the the menstrual cycle in 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 four parts or four seasons yeah i think that's a great analogy i mean one of the things i do in my menopause workshop my balancing your hormones workshop is remind women kind of a bit like a biology lesson of how we're really meant to be and which symptoms we might be experiencing that could be helped with some support and of course my my chosen option as a homeopath natural health practitioner is a natural health option and i've always taken that that kind of road myself and support many women through all of those things you know whatever our choices are so it might be that you're taking some kind of hrt or, or you're on the pill and it hasn't fixed all the issues that you'd like it to fix and so there are lots of natural health options that can help with that and i just wanted to get that in but to come back to my own symptoms before periods often women will say my breasts feel heavy my breasts feel full and that way i know my period's coming um and actually that is a symptom which i would as a practitioner like to support women in addressing because where might that go without it being attended to if we let it? And what I'm saying is, if we don't look after our breast health, we all know that that is one of the primary cancers for women. So so it's a sign that we need to do a bit of tweaking as far as I'm concerned. And there's lots of amazing things we can do from skin brushing to liver cleanses that will help reduce breast problems for women. And um, and I, of course, like to throw in some homeopathy. But for me, what was happening was instead of that being before my period, it was coming up in the third week of my cycle, which we could take to be the autumn. If we're going to talk about the seasons, we talk about our bleed coming on the first as the first day of the cycle. And then the bleed happens, which I believe should be three to four days and not seven, you know, because if we were out in the wild, yeah. On the plains, you know, we pray if we're bleeding. So it should be a very short and comfortable and not debilitating situation, which, of course, for most women, it is long, it is uncomfortable and debilitating. So clearly there's work to do. And then in the summer, or, or we come towards the summer, we come towards fruition, the second week of the cycle, during which we should become fertile. And, you know, becoming fertile means and i'm just going to put it there we are more lubricated we feel like it there's actually a subtle drop in our temperature the cervix interestingly took me like 100 years not 100 years i'm not that old but you know took me many years to understand that the cervix actually moves position during the cycle and the texture of the cervix changes so the cervix becomes not surprisingly it becomes more open and receptive when we're fertile and the other thing that happens which i think is absolutely fascinating is our interior um, ph balance changes so we go from being slightly acid for most of the cycle to less acid Sorry. and not surprisingly I, I that the is popped into my head so there's all sorts of education we could have you know that being fertile we are more receptive. We are, we're up more up for it, you know. And then the autumn period, things we move into, either we've made baby and we're going to carry it to fruition or we haven't and we're going to, the, the, the wall of the womb thickens up and we slough that off at the period. So, so during this third week of the cycle, 
my my breasts were full. And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> Clearly it was perimenopause is the answer. <laughs> but, but I was like, what is going on? Why, why, why do I feel like this now a whole week before my period? And then it would stop and I'd have the week before my period and my period would stop. So I was like, that's really weird. You know, in the past, I've had this feeling just before my period. So I tuned into what does this feel like? And what I realized it felt like was just before you're going to feed a baby and your breasts get full and you're like, where's that baby? I need to feed it. Because <laughs> otherwise it gets very uncomfortable. And so, um, yeah, that's how you, you know, you know, you need to feed the baby. So this was the feeling that was coming up for me. And so in that third week of my cycle in my perimenopausal years, I was just like, wow, I'm mourning the fact that I'm not going to feed any more babies. And I loved feeding my babies yeah. because it was the ultimate, it feels what well, we call it, the letdown reflex. It is, it's just such a relief. It's like you're feeding the baby, the baby calms, that feeling of fullness dissipates and everybody's happy. And there's this difference, you know, when you feed a baby, a baby is crying or, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, baby needs to feed. And sometimes they look a bit pinched. I mean, this is so, it's amazing. You feed a baby and then they look full and, yeah. and content, you know, and you realize that there are these natural rhythms and we are so out of touch with them that to come back to how we started this bit is is that we don't know how to talk about the stuff that's happening to us you know we we go to our gp and neither does the gp know how to talk to us about this stuff that's happening to us because we've got so medicalized we've got so compartmentalized you know and and most of the GPs still, and I know there are amazing people like Dr. Louise Newsom who are changing this, most of the GPs don't know the difference between depression and you feeling like something is changing and it's perimenopause. And so many, many women, if the GP is listening, get antidepressants, you know, and that's not the solution. The, the problem is imbalanced hormones. It is, isn't it? Because it's interesting as well, because often with the GPs, they're going to follow the the trend that's in media. So yeah. when something becomes yes. a talking point <laughs> and everyone's talking about it, um, mm. and, you know, and I remember in the 90s, it became a big thing that people shouldn't um, be ashamed of being depressed. They should go and take their antidepressants. And now we have Mental Health Month, Mental Health Day, Mental Health Awareness Week, and, and all of these things. And but with that became, well, we'll give you some antidepressants. And I've, I've started to see or notice that GPs are now starting to stop that trend a little bit. But like you said, one, one of the things that you and I discussed last time and I've discussed in previous podcasts is the, the lack of knowledge and the lack of awareness about how the men... I, I was about to say what the menopause is, but everybody thinks that's probably a good way to say it. People think they know what the menopause is. And then when the menopause starts happening, everyone's like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Yeah. And, and also women, women might actually, and this often happens, really not realize themselves 
that that is what's going on and that it takes um, a partner, a girlfriend, daughter, maybe mum, if you have that relationship with your mum, and she, you know, went through menopause herself, um, kind of being open to the conversation about change, which is often not the case, you know, so this this is new territory. But often for women, it's like, and I'm hearing this more and more, actually, which is great. So the education, the news is getting out there. Um, It's, hey, mum, sister, (laughs) girlfriend, maybe this is menopause. And and that can be the trigger, that that acknowledgement, that mirror, that recognition that that perhaps you're going through this. Because this is something else that just occurred to me as well is, and and I just, I'm not trying to put a perspective um from a men's point of view but i do think it offers a difference for balance right mm-hmm. as men get older we know when something's not right because we don't get an erection it's not a feeling <laughs> it, do you know what i mean it's it's not a feeling it just doesn't happen <laughs> yeah you wake up in the morning you're like you're pointing in the wrong direction because you're normally <laughs> staring up at me as soon as i wake up in the morning and when that doesn't happen you know you're tired stressed or your testosterone is dropping it's mm. it is as as subtle as being hit in the face with a breeze block. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, 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 there's no escaping it. There's no denying it. You're like, literally, something's not up. Yeah, so, so exactly. Is, and yeah. that's that's how simple it is for men. So when there's no like clear markers, there's nothing that blatantly when you wake up in the morning is banging on the mirror saying, "Oi." Have you noticed? It's like, how do you start? How do you have a conversation? How do you? And and you said something yeah. earlier that was fascinating as well because you said something along the emotions that come in about sexuality. Am I still attractive? Am I still desirable? Am I still functional? Am I still worthy? You know, do I have a place or a purpose now? Because I'm be- effectively starting to become infertile. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And we, we are the only creatures on the planet bar whales and a couple of fishes who 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 aren't fertile for the whole of our lives. Yeah. So so for women at menopause, it there is this huge question that comes up about about worth, you know, and it might be very basic to talk about fertility in relation to worth, but but um and, I, and I'm sure that will raise a lot of hackles to think about it like that. But there is an aspect of survival of the species and an aspect of us that we really haven't looked at till now is what happens beyond being fertile. What happens beyond being per- fertile is postmenopause, And that period of time is something that we are not really yet talking about. And I usually say the things that we need to talk about as three b's post-menopause which is bones bladder and brain and those are the areas that we need to look after in our society and that that brings me back really to your conversation about depression and when you know just when you mentioned that about mental health and i remember meeting and reading an article many years ago by patrick holford and he put it very clearly that the the studies that there are that show that at the root of depression or part of the depression conversation is a lack of minerals. And so, so for 
for brains, bladder and bones, particularly bones, we'll be talking about mineral wealth. So, so what comes up again at menopause is a need to nurture, is the need to nourish, is a need to replenish and restore because we are very good in our culture at being demineralized because there isn't there aren't the nutrients in the food. So it's looking at the pathways by which we absorb nutrients that is fundamental. So, so to come back to, you know, when you said about the GP and not listening or not hearing, a really useful thing to know and to understand is that the, all the GP can really do is give you some blood tests. And I would go for that if you're feeling that you're out of sorts and you are wondering if it's perimenopause is go to your GP and ask to have your bloods done. But your blood tests, um, you're having your bloods done is such a kind of movable feast. You know, when I see, when I compare clients um, blood tests from last year to this year I'll be going well last year they tested everything this year they've just tested a third of that so I can only make comparisons between what's happened this year and a third of what they showed us last year that's very common so you do need to go with a little bit of knowledge to your GP and say I'd like to have my blood test done because I think I'm perimenopausal and I would like to know my hormonal status and then they will look at hormones but that said, I would also say, please look at my thyroid if you're feeling tired, if you're feeling a bit low emotionally, um, if your bowel is slow, constipation being an, an issue or IBS because or dry skin's cropping up because these could indicate that the thyroid is low and that is common at menopause. So those are the things that the GP could test for if they are thinking, oh, well, I'll do some tests or if you get go with some knowledge and ask them. and But I will say that blood tests aren't the best measure because if something is showing up on your blood, um, in your bloods, then it's, it really is a time to take action and that there are other tests you could do which show way before it being evident in your blood that there is an issue. The other thing that I'm going to throw in actually is anemia. Blood tests are good at showing whether you are low in iron and if you're low in iron, I would also be looking at other minerals generally. So just to say beyond blood tests that, or, or the tests that the GP will do, which are blood tests, may or may not show that there is an issue. And I have many, many women coming to see me who show me that their thyroid is low, but their blood tests don't show that. And they'll say, well, my GP said my thyroid's fine. And I'm like, not from your symptoms. It is crashing. So, so other types of tests which you can go for that are useful. If you is is uh, they're called hair mineral analysis tests, and they will show what your mineral wealth is like, and whether you've got heavy metal toxins knocking about things like aluminium. Same tests um, they do to see if you've had cocaine, yeah. cannabis. Yeah. That. <laughs> no, that, that's that's where those. For court cases and stuff like that, that's what they use because yeah, cocaine absolutely. can stay on a hair strand or something for six months. Yeah, and cocaine actually is a drug is an interesting one because it it mixed. There are studies that show that it's one of the most difficult drugs to shift from your system yeah. when it comes to detox. So it's worth knowing that if you've been a bit of a cokehead in the past, you're going to need to do a lot of liver cleanses at menopause. Just the putting amount, that out there. Well, I was going to say the <laughs> amount of. Um, fathers over the years i've coached who are going through divorce 
and they said the the mother has demanded drug tests how long do you think I, I need to be and i was just like you haven't done any cocaine have you they were like <laughs> yeah and i was just like you're fucked well yeah because cannabis i think like skunk cannabis and stuff i think is in your system on a hair strand for about three months give or take you know it's different for everybody but cocaine yeah. is 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 it is markers are there for about six months in your hair it's fascinating isn't it that can, and, we get in a whole other conversation yeah and it's interesting you know when i look at detox it's like oh well does that change if we if we do a detox you know let's we we do need to individualized so a lot of this conversation is about this but hair mineral analysis tests are interesting they'll show whether you've got um lead mercury aluminium cadmium knocking about arsen arsenic this type of thing and they'll show what your mineral wealth is and that could be useful if you're feeling tired depleted etc and then the other type of test which is far more comprehensive it's called the dutch test and that is done during doing uh, testing your urine and that will look at your cortisol, your adrenal um, hormones, your female hormones, your thyroid hormones, and gives a much better picture. And then the other type of test you can do is a saliva test over 24 hours. And again, that gives you a true hormone profile. And with that information, you're much better um, equipped to really know if you want to go down the test route. I personally... Um, think there are other ways you know you're talking in a one-to-one yeah. -one situation you're like well that's what's going on for me or a bit of education you figure out what's going on for you so you know there are options um i have the other type of test that i'll just mention that i've been using a lot recently is a microbiome test okay so a microbiome test tests your gut flora and they're very comprehensive and if you go for a company or an individual um, it's, it costs more, obviously, to see an individual one-to-one -one set up, but you can just go and get the test. You want to go for a test where they um, have a chat with you afterwards so that you've got a nutritionist that you talk to for 20 minutes or so as part of the test, or you see someone one-to-one. -one. And what you'll get from that is an understanding that without the right flora in the gut, you won't be producing the right brain chemicals. So if you've got anxiety... For instance, it could be you haven't got the right bacteria in your gut. And anxiety is massive post-COVID. And, of course, it really comes up. Yeah. Is, yeah, I mean, th th this is the thing. Is I think that's difficult for people to understand. I interestingly, last week I, I did a podcast with a lady called Sharon who um, is a hypnotherapist and she specialises in easy birthing. Uh, as oh, well nice. as yeah, yeah. As, mm -hmm. and, and, and she was we got into the subject of anxiety and we got into a subject that something you and i talked about last time about the the brain hasn't changed in two million years it hasn't evolved <laughs> so Oops. you know it's we think well i'm fine because we rationalize things and you're like no i'm you know we'll write a list of pros and cons and we will rationalize things but your subconscious isn't dealing with your rational thoughts. Your subconscious is shutting things down in your body because it doesn't feel correct. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's doing that to protect you. Sometimes it's doing that to warn you. And But when we ignore it, your subconscious is, is focused purely on trying to save you. And it doesn't care, weirdly, 
your subconscious doesn't care if in trying to save you, it will actually kill you. It, it will shut. And we were talking about this, like she was saying, there's a great example of, unfortunately, when that tsunami happened about sort of 12, 11, 12, 13 years ago, a lady. Yeah. 2006, yeah. Yeah, there was right? a lady. Yeah. So, yeah, there was a lady who was mid labor. And, and the subconscious kind of took over, the brain took over and shut down the labor. <laughs> both mother and Amazing. child, yeah, both mother and child survived, but literally she had to flee up a tree in the middle of labor and stopped giving birth. Because that's the, incredible. Our, our, our operating system is that powerful. And we, we forget that we're animals. We think, because you and I are doing a Zoom conversation, we're, we're some highfalutin species that's above <laughs> the hedgehog that walks across your lawn. It's like, no, you're no different. <clears throat> you know, a mammal is a mammal, and our subconscious works on that level. It, it mm. doesn't care. Like, like you and I were saying, like going back to that communication thing, your body doesn't care that you don't want to talk about it. It's like, no, I, it's, I'm going to take you... shouting louder. <laughs> well, it, it's like... This is going to happen, and we can walk down the street hand in hand, or I can drag you kicking and screaming. I know which one feels best, but it's up to you which way you go. But this is the direction we're going because you're now starting your menopause. Yeah, I think that's a great metaphor. I really, I really like that. I can't help but be reminded of um, you're talking about the women in labour, of a, a conversation I, I, I had many years ago with he was a work colleague and he was white rastafarian and um his ex-partner and he had had a child and she was she was white but he always told the story about her second child um and she was with with a black guy and she didn't but she didn't quite know whether the child was his my friends or or the new guy that she started seeing yeah so she wasn't sure <laughs> what colour the baby was going to be. And it was a much, much longer labour because she was hung on not yeah. knowing, you know, and she always says that's why this labour was 18 hours and my first child was six, you know. Very interesting. <laughs> but this, this is what I mean because people get upset and offended about these conversations. But it's like you, 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 your subconscious. But it's a fact. That was a fact. You know? but, but this is what <laughs> and I she mean. Saw it. Yeah, but this is what I mean. And it's like you can be as upset as you want about talking about the menopause. Mm. Your body doesn't give a shit. Mm. It literally no, doesn't care. And th like this, um, Sharon was telling me that she has clients that come to her because. That they they can't fall pregnant, but the tests show yeah. that everything's fine. And she said, yeah, when, I when she goes, when you get them under mm -hmm. hypnosis, it turns out they're anxious about being good parents. So their body's yeah. like, well, if you're anxious about being good parents, it's obviously that maybe there's a famine coming, maybe there's a flood coming. It's not a good time to have yeah. kids. So your body just, yeah. even though everything's supposed to be working, your body doesn't let you give um, become. I don't know. Uh, you know, like, I, think, you know, I stop because really things... I suddenly yeah. realise I don't understand. I just know that the body will say, <laughs> "No, you're, you're not having kids." But I think I think there's know. many there's many things. I mean, that whole you know the analogy of of our interior being over acid, you know, yeah. and and not welcoming the sperm. That, yeah. I mean, that's actually a massive conversation right there. And I, you just reminded me of a very good friend of mine. She's um, a yoga teacher, Lynn Murphy, and she will often 
you know, in her prenatal yoga classes, just know instinctively if there is an issue for the woman, um, a woman in her class around uh, a previous sexual experience, which is going to hold her up in the birth process. So absolutely working through what holds us back is fundamental when it comes to hormonal change. And I think that these issues come up for us hormonally um, at, at these points of change, you know, and it can, it's puberty, it's pregnancy, it's menopause, and they come up as an opportunity for healing ultimately. And so, you know, I love the, the birth hypnotherapy. I have a, a few friends who work with that. And I have a colleague, um, Katrina um, Armour-Brown, who works with hypnosis at menopause for a similar reason, you know, because it's experience can be what holds us back, you know, from, from making that change, from making that transition, from moving into a new version, if you like, of ourselves. And that can be a version of yourself that you love. And it might be that you've never loved yourself or you found it difficult difficult to or you've always loved yourself but you you you're going to transition into something that's new and it's about you know reducing the fear around that and you know there's so much more information out out there and around about menopause at the moment um it can frustrate me that that the natural health solution isn't aired enough and that can be everything from a bit of grounding, knowing the difference between restorative yoga and Ashtanga yoga, yoga, for instance, and perhaps restorative yoga is a better choice at this period of time. It doesn't mean to say that these symptoms aren't going to shift. I mean, one of the things that I'm seeing a lot at the moment is this conversation or perception that because you've got brain fog right now, or you might have brain fog in menopause, you need to medicalize it. That to my mind, is absolute rubbish. And I would love to be able to counter that with saying, well, look, there's lots of amazing things that we can do, which are low cost, uh, low impact environmentally, and just easy to do on an everyday basis. And they start with things that are as simple as you know, dry skin brushing with a natural bristle brush before your shower. That's men and women. Great, great thing to be doing to have a shower, to do a cold shower afterwards, and suddenly you feel brighter, clearer, you know, doing a bit of mindful practice in the morning, doing a little bit of meditation, taking some fresh air in sunshine, if we've got it, <laughs> but fresh air before 12, you know, I have to discipline myself to do that. And I'm sure you're the same. It's like to get out of the house rather than plumb into emails before 12. And I will feel better and I'll sleep better at the end of the day. I occasionally rant about this in my videos. because <laughs> Anybody that follows me on Instagram will see if I'm not on shift at my kind of my main job. Um, I, work out in my garden i have a little gym area in my garden and it has a tin roof on it and there's pictures of me like at six o'clock in the morning and it's snowing <laughs> i'm still working out and so. yeah and one of the things i rant about and excuse my language but i point out if you think i fucking enjoy this every single morning <laughs> at six o'clock when it's pissing down with rain and it's cold you're a fucking idiot i don't enjoy it at all i bloody hate it but i also get fat very easily because i'm not that controlled with what i eat you know I, i'm going through a bit of a 
you're a bit too fat diet at the moment. So I've gone the other way and I'm like barely eating anything because I've realized like, Jesus, you can't keep upsizing your clothes. You don't own enough money, earn enough money to keep doing that for the rest of your life. And, but I never stopped working out, but it's not just about weight control. I do it for my mobility. I do it for my agility. I do it for my lymphatic system, which I think is one of the most underspoken health. Yeah, absolutely. Um, things mm -hmm. you can do is, the reason moving is so important is because that for people that don't aren't aware of this, you're we all know we have um the the blood in our body which is controlled by your lungs and your heart. Your heart beats faster, it pushes blood around your body. You also have an almost symmetrical system called the lymphatic system. But the lymphatic system doesn't have a heart to pump it. It relies mm -hmm. on you moving and movement um allows the lymphatic system to pump liquid. Uh, I don't know what the, the correct name for the liquid is called. Lymph. Um, oh, <laughs> it's just called yeah, lymph. lymph yeah. yeah, lymph around your body, through your lymph nodes. And that's actually what carries toxins away and keeps your body clean. And so when you're sat there eating, drinking, whatever, doing a Netflix binge for an entire weekend. Yeah. Or you, sat on Zoom all week, can I add? Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Any of those things, you mm -hmm. literally are like sitting in like stagnant water like you'd if you imagine a pond where it's mm -hmm. just stagnant and and there's no movement in it anymore that's what happens to your lymph system whereas when Definitely. you move on a daily basis and it doesn't have to be like a marathon just a half hour vigorous walk um it's, it's perfect literally perfect and then it's more like a clean flowing stream definitely so yeah that's, and that's, that's why that's why yeah no that's my brilliant. little rant that's, over <laughs> yeah and i would add the dry skin brushing into that with a natural yeah. bristle brush before the shower because you're stimulating your lymph system exactly. and you you brush from your extremities towards the heart because that's where the major lymph ducts are and they then dump that into the bloodstream goes back to the liver for cleansing so you know you i always say to people make sure you hydrate as well otherwise the, li the liver will go oh thanks for all that and you'll get constipated so you know there's there's yeah. there's a there's a whole conversation but, around that but, but going absolutely. back to what you said is there's so many things you can do for free yeah totally free and low cost and also low low impact environmentally yeah. let's not forget that drugs are a big part of the petrochemical industry people aren't talking about this and if we are going to talk about reducing um our our impact on the planet then let's start with you know a bit of dry skin brushing first thing in the morning why not you know i'd, I'd love to know how many of those um climate activists are medicated do you know what it really it was an interesting question i remember um there was there was a pub in uh in um islington i believe it's the duke of cambridge and it was one of the first you know we do all, all organic and it's um run by um a guy it's called guy from um, Riverford and oh, his yeah. wife. Yeah, Hugh, an Indian lady. Is that no, is he's called Guy, and I'm trying. I can't remember anyway. But but from Riverford, and his wife runs it. And I remember, you know, being curious about some of the posters that were up on the on just on the you know the poster board or the notice board. Is the word I'm looking for. And um, and I was interested, you know, because some of them were congruent with the organic concept and some of them weren't, you know, and I and I at that point, just reading that notice board, I thought, wow, there's a lot of work to do here within the movement of of um, 
of climate change you know that that if you if you are reaching for the medication of any form you know you you want to be asking questions about that it's it's almost you know we can we can ask questions politically we can ask questions spiritually you know that the church is being exposed can we ask questions about our health medically at that level we we're really on a very much the cusp of beginning to ask about where our medicine really comes from and the true cost of that you know oh, yeah. and we we've had we've had the conversation you know about about um animal testing um and that's a sort of marginalized conversation for us you know yeah horrors when we start his, to lift his, the lid on that and i think because it's the lifting the lid on things that we allow you know every day in order to arrive at a freaking so, deodorant i'm sorry but, the, but, the, <laughs> but the, this is it so, so here's my take on animal testing right and i have i have no skin in this game no pun intended sort of thing but we as a society have to accept one or two things if you're not going to test on animals you have to test on humans without con without liability for the consequences yeah that's why i like honey obviously because at the end of the day we do provings on humans you know and it's a, it's just such a different approach the reason you know, you people make... started testing on animals is because they mm. couldn't sue and yeah. what was once a necessity mm. uh, and it, because people forget animal testing started sort of well, before they could, they could, they because once upon a time you could only um, examine dead human bodies, mm -hmm. right? And there just actually wasn't enough supply, yeah. and so anatomy classes were done with animals so that people could understand the basic medicine that we take for granted today. Now, as a medicine evolved, so did the need for practicing, and how do we discover what we can and can't do? And yeah. in about the last probably probably about 70 years, I forget how old I am, but about, it was about the 40s and the 50s that we really, they started testing chemicals, um, beautician, you know, beauty products and stuff like that, and, yeah. and certain medicines. You know, it, it kind of went just from basic anatomy to understand the body to let's learn how the body reacts to these treatments and in doing that we've cured thousands of viruses diseases most of cancer leukemia research and all of that was done on live animals that because you have to know how they respond in real time and if a drug works now i'm not defending it i'm not defending it i'm saying as a society we have to accept one of two things if we do not test on animals we can only test on live humans. And if you are going to do that, you cannot then sue people because somebody, it goes wrong. Yeah, I mean, look, I understand the logistics. I still find it completely abhorrent and choose a form of medicine that's not been tested in yeah, that way. But, but that, you know, that's what I'm saying. Might, if, if we're yeah, going to do this... And so no, no, that's no, no. a privilege, but it's not a privilege. I chose to educate myself and I, and it, but it's a constant, it's a constant rigorous thing. You know, I cannot tell you whether the perfume I'm wearing today was tested or not. And I really, you know, it's like, 
a need to drill down on. It's a constant reminder to drill down on those things, you know, to come back to When it comes to to most things like perfumes, and my apologies, Mm. I I genuinely didn't mean to uh, over-talk on you there. Mm. Um, Mm. When it comes to things like perfumes and stuff like that, we can be pretty certain today that because of perfumes as a a base hasn't changed much in the last 50, 60 years. So everything that's been tested on is pretty much been done. But going back to something you've been talking about before, naturally, right? We didn't evolve in, as a species with chemicals. So how did we manage up until about 200 years ago? Because people right through time have lived into their 70s, 80s, and 90s. This the idea that people, the average age was 30, is absolute bullshit. They're taking statistics yeah. to suit an argument. What went wrong is if you broke a leg or you got injured, you would bleed out because an ambulance couldn't come. But there's very little evidence of things like cancer. There's no evidence of things like diabetes. There's so many things that, you know, like, yeah, if if a different person who'd never entered your community before brought in a new type of cold, they're probably going to wipe most of you out. That, that, That was how nature worked. But as a, a species and the subspecies, we've been around 2 million years. Well, the Industrial Revolution is only 300 years. So, it's so, so recent. <laughs> yeah. And if you look at when health conditions started to become problematic, it was around the time that we started farming. And we, we, we gave up that nomadic life of walking and stuff like that. I don't know about that. I think, I think when we look back to, I was reading a really interesting blog, actually. I, I, would, I would say it's more recently than that. I would say things come out of farming, which is interesting. I think farming mm. allows us to live in this part of the world that, that you and I are in, which is Northern Europe. Um, I think that it is because if we think about what survives through the winter, food we would have to get into being able to store food from the summer through the winter in order to survive and and as we move further north you know we look at say hibernation during the winter and slowing the body down and eating foods which burn sort of slower burning fuel if you like you know there's lots of conversation around that but i read this fascinating thing recently looking at the russia ukraine um crisis and um, really looking at that part of the world and and um, we won't go into it too much, but it was a fascinating study about massive shifts in in culturally what we were doing and what what was there were actually big civilizations set up based on farming that we can we can live in bigger civilizations because of farming. If we're yeah. hunter gatherers, we have to be more spread out over a wider range. so, we can only come together in clumps because of evolving farming. And at that point, it doesn't necessarily mean that we were less healthy. It's really the introdu- it's the industrial revolution that has advanced stuff. So when you look yeah. at the diseases, when you do see cancers, you know, and you look back, it's not that cancer never existed, you know, prior to that. We have the word canker, we see it come up, but it's more related to other conditions. And then it, we really only see the increase in that as we industrial revolution, you know, and what we what we teach in homeopathy is what we call miasms, is is the family history. And we really get into stuff like epigenetics. But um, when we look at one of these um, miasms, these grouped diseases, if you like, 
Um, and we look at what came out of the Industrial Revolution. I describe it as we took young people, you know, under the age of eight, out of the fields, out of the fresh air. We took them into the factories. They ran around under, under the machines, sorting stuff out, breathing in any of the effluvia, you know, was it fluff from, from a weaving machine or was it, you know, more chemical, started to breathe that in from an early age when the lungs were, weren't fully developed. You know, the lungs developed from the age of 8 to 14, 16. It's when we grow into our full height and the lungs reach their full capacity. And it's during that period of time, you know, we took kids and put them into factories and we starved them of light, of food, and of, you know, spiritual, playful nourishment. And the end result of that was a disease which we call consumption, tuberculosis. We People were consumed by something other than fresh air, sunshine and good food. And guess what? We got, we got tuberculosis. And when you look at tuberculosis as a disease and the rate, you know, you go up to Howard and you look in the churchyard, you know, I don't know if you've ever been, but it's where the Brontes grew up. And it's like you don't, you just see all these gravestones, you know, 18, 24, young people, you know, just about reaching maturity and then dying of consumption. And that's the Industrial Revolution. And when you add in chemicals to that, guess what you get? You get cancers, you know. So so we are the result of our environment. You know, 100%. we're doing the best we can yeah. to survive it. Basically. Yeah, but it's it's like you say, it's, it's important because going back to that, because that's what it said, um kind of what i meant when i said it was about the time we started farming that we started to have problems yeah and yeah i did this pointless fact on a radio show a couple of weeks ago that i do on a thursday um, <laughs> i like that i must yeah. listen <laughs> yeah well it's, it's a dance show for a client that i work for but in the middle of his his like house techno show i do a pointless fact and they, <laughs> they really are pointless but and they vary but one of them i mentioned is we i did po population and it wasn't until about 18 something or whatever that we got to 1 billion people in the population of the earth. Mm. And from 18 and basically about the last 200, 250 years, we've gone from um, 1 billion One to seven and they, something. Yeah. To, and they reckon possibly by the end of 2023, we'll be at 8 billion. 8 billion. It's, wow. It's, it's taken us just wow. over 200 years. So, and that's you can why... understand the fast advance, you know, the panic, like the collective well, panic about providing enough food, can't you? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's wired into us. Is there enough food to go around? You know, and this is, I mean, you know, when it comes to you dieting, you know, losing well, weight and gaining weight, it's like, I, is there enough food to go around? That, you that know, book, I, first... I think I told you about that the first time we spoke, that book, uh, book mm. I'd been listening to, Why We Eat and in brackets too much. It's because yes. you, your yeah. brain is hardwired, whether you like it or not. And yeah. he talks about dieting, and he was a, clin a clinician that works in a, um, a practice that does gastric bands and stuff. He says, yes. what people don't understand is, to a degree, again, we're going back to the subconscious and how the body reacts, whether you like it or not. Yeah. You're going to have every good intention in the world. But if your body feels like it's going to go hungry, it's going to make you eat. Yeah. It exactly doesn't care what you feel it's just like yeah. yeah and again when you start like you and i were talking when you get cravings for something that's that's not always your mind playing up i have a golden rule if i am craving something for more than 24 hours i go and eat it and it yeah. doesn't matter if it's weirdly at the moment i've been craving on, what are you craving oranges <laughs> okay nice I, yeah 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 usually yeah. it'll be a pizza 
I'll crave a pizza yeah. or I'll crave chocolate. Um, but at the moment, the only thing I seem to have cravings for is orange oranges. Is or oranges. Do you know what? That the difference between an orange and an organic orange can be huge. But yeah. I just I love blood oranges. I love it when it's at the time of year when they come in. I oh, really lucky. You and I have gone so off track, but I was really <laughs> lucky a few oh, a few years ago, about twenty years ago. I I got um, I helped my uncle do a driving job, and we had to go from the um, Salisbury or Shaftesbury uh, down to Valencia, and we oh, had wow. to do we had to nice do it between trip. box yeah well it sort of we had to do it between boxing, <laughs> between Boxing Day and New Year's Eve. That's we had to get down there and yeah. back in that time. But when we got oh, down wow. when we got down there, the guy that we were dropping off all this furniture to owned about 50 acres of orange groves oranges. and they were all ready for picking and Best i've never i've never <laughs> had oranges off the tree and wow I they're can, amazing I, 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 I cannot begin to describe how different they taste yeah oh i'm gonna go that's like one of those things that you just want to go and do isn't it i want to go to valencia at that time of year and eat oranges <sighs> I, honestly it's it was great. This, the middle of winter <laughs> i didn't realize that that's actually their harvest almost their harvest in time um yeah. and yeah oranges straight off the tree is the sweetest Something else. It, yeah. it is it, it genuinely i mean we took like two big bags home you can take as much as you want <laughs> like I've, I've got 50 acres to pick and, it, <laughs> it, and if i ever had a lottery ambition it would be to have some facility where i could grow fresh oranges and stuff like that because it nice. is a different world yeah I was at a friend's in um, Selena, a very good friend of mine, and um, I was there, I'm guessing it's April, might be wrong, could be September, I'd actually have to look it up. It's the time of year when the orange trees in her front garden were blossoming, and the neroli, the scent of the orange blossom flower is beautiful, really amazing. So we let's just bring that right back to uh, menopause. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things and we were gonna... was going to throw in a few flowers for you, for yeah. your listeners. <laughs> yeah, but actually, one of the things we were talking about pre the um, actually recording the podcast is you're putting together a crib street. Yes, yeah. So I, I will. I'll do that for you. I'll put together a crib sheet of useful resources that are are free, low cost um, for your listeners. And so just, we'll put a little note at the end of how to, how to contact me, a landing page or whatever. And then, um, we can send that out and just, uh, you know, because many women come to see me one-to-one -one and I, and the reason I started to do talks and workshops and, um, create a, a point of information other than one-to-one -one sessions is because I can say the same thing to every woman that comes in, you know, start with these simple measures, do these for a month or two, then come back and see me for the icing on the cake that is homeopathy or herbs or, or supplements or whatever, because there are many very simple things that you can do at home um, that could be all you need to do. And what if all you need to do is establish some simple routines, um, perhaps to add in a few extra things. You know, one of the things that I often say is that and I think I might have said this on the last podcast so forgive me if I did but is that women are very good at taking things away oh I must stop doing x y and z in order to get to there and it's quite a human conversation it's quite a contemporary conversation but women are far better at it than men must stop that in order to do that and so often what we need to do 
at menopause is actually add in things and then the say so so if you've got if you find that for instance you are wanting to eat more sugary food more carbs and you're frustrated because it's like why do I want to eat these things it shows me that your blood sugar is out of balance and actually what might be needed is to add in some magnesium take an epsom salt bath use an use a magnesium spray or it might be that you need to add in greens to your diet every day and when you eat those more bitter flavors of the greens suddenly you don't want to eat the sweet flavors because it's like the bitter counteracts the sweet you know so just it can be very simple things like that um and a lot of it is just adding some stuff in so that's really why i started to do lower cost things like my workshop to create a facebook group um to just have some available resources do some youtube clips you know so that you're just like oh could be doing that and then things change you know where can people find your facebook group what's it called it's called Managing Menopause Naturally. So you should just find it from that. We could put the link actually on the crib sheet. So I'll, I'll do that. Um, I know, I'll and I'll put the link yeah. in the description as well. Cool. Thank you. Oh, so oranges. I was just wanted to mention, yeah, I mean, there's great, you know, like essential oils, pure essential oils are actually a very low cost solution. You know, we could be making up a very simple massage oil, you know, using oils like geranium, which help balance hormones, which help calm the nervous system. You know, there's just, there's some great solutions which are readily available, easy to access and don't cost the earth in more ways than one. (laughs) Just before we finish, there's something I'd, I'd like to go back to is, and it's really for people that are listening because you and I are both therapists and Mm. one of the, one of the key things I think almost all therapists agree on is, is getting people to communicate. Yes. You and I will agree that not every therapist fits everybody's needs. Sometimes it's square pegs and round holes, but when all of us communicate, there'll always be somebody that can help you. But for me, one of the hardest things and Sometimes I get asked, like, if I have a special gift, what is it? And that's when I'm listening to people, like when I'm talking one-to-one with a client, that pain point is always the thing you don't tell me. (laughs) And that's the one thing I hear. I, I can listen to somebody for five minutes, 10 minutes, just talking. And I promise you, it's always what you don't say that I notice and remember. Hmm. And what I also know, which I, I kind of learned over, you know, over the years, is I can't ask you about it there and then. Because the reason you haven't said it, in the middle of a sentence, and I can't explain it. It's an end. Like you mm. were saying about that lady who does yoga, who just seems to know. She just seems to be in tune or has an instinct for that. Yeah. When, when I'm listening and there will be something that you should have said or you haven't said, and I realize that. It's like there's a sentence that hasn't, I don't know, it just, out of all the other sentences or the whole, whatever you're talking about, it's just like that just stands out glaringly to me. And Mm. the only thing I've ever learned is not to question it in Mm. myself, right? So just just allow it to, to, to take its own time and do its own thing. And then I'll leave it for a few minutes, sometimes even another session. Because if I come back to you immediately, you'll defend it. 
But if I let somebody go off so that it, it, it kind of disappears from back into their subconscious, I can go back and say, when you were saying that, mm. what was that about? Why, why didn't you do that? Uh, or mm. what did you mean? Or what didn't you say? You know, it's all, it's, I'm sa making it sound really clumsy now, trying to explain it, but it is all context to where you are th in that conversation. Mm. And that is what opens them up to then talk about what's really bothering them mm. or what's really holding them back or why they really have self-doubt or low self-esteem. That will be the pain point that happened at some point in their life that was actually literally became life defining and to, i'll give you actually i'll give you a personal reference because i did this on a vinnie shawman breakthrough day which is a hypnotherapy day where he takes you back on timeline therapy through hypnosis oh nice yeah yeah and as you can imagine i went in there as an experienced therapist and stuff like that and had this good idea about where all my problems stemmed from and i couldn't have been more wrong and one of the things that stood out that was like the a massive, massive thing in my life, which I had actually forgotten about until this memory reoccurred, is when I was about 10 years old, I was dating this girl, if you can date at 10. You know, I was a 10 or 11 because the following year we went to secondary school. And this, we had kind of split up as 10, 11 year olds do. We went to different schools and I bumped into somebody I knew. Um, and he was telling me, and I'm not going to say this girl's name because, you know, who knows, this podcast might get listened to one day. Right? Um, he, this guy, Stephen, was telling me that this girl had been telling everyone I couldn't kiss. Mm -hmm. And in the middle of that memory, when I relived it under hypnosis, I was destroyed and I felt so humiliated. And it's, uh, on some weird level, I've car I'd carried that around with me as an adult, that this embarrassment of not being able to kiss or kiss properly. And I don't even know if I could or couldn't just for the record, mm -hmm. I've had no complaints since. Right. But <laughs> just restore my ego a second there, but it is, it's like what 10 or 11, when I rationalized it afterwards, it's like what 10 or 11 year old knows how to kiss anyway, boy or girl. Do you know what I mean? It is there's at that age, there was nothing sexual. There was, you know, it's just like, and there's no of that, learning that different partners make you feel different about the same thing you know you can kiss one partner and it's not the same as maybe a partner you have later in life you know the the chemistry and there's energy and there's different stages of your life but at 11 10 11 years old what on earth did any does anybody know about kissing mm -hmm. <laughs> you know and the weird thing is it's not something that i witnessed it was something that was third party he was telling me about something he had heard so yeah. how wrong had that story potentially got by the time I heard it? For all I know, I she she wasn't saying anything horrible about me. <laughs> but Chinese whispers, you know, by the time it got to me, my interpretation of it. Uh, but I just weirdly, it, it was 30 odd years later. And I was just like, wow, that's still in my yeah. subconscious from being a child. Yeah. I think it's really fascinating, isn't it? What, you know, you, that you, you know, thanks for sharing that because I think what came up for me is, is one's relationship to the challenge that you were set in yeah. that hypnotherapy session. And I would be like, I'm, I'm like, my, my, my response to that um, is 
I, I need to go and do that. Like, I mean, I've done that sort of thing loads of times, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like, it's layers of an onion or whatever is this sense of, you know, peeling back and, and uncovering that. And, um, and so I, I hear that and I'm like, yeah, I want to do that. And I've been thinking recently um, about family constellation and, the, and, the, and again, this is part of, part of menopause, part of maturing, part of growing into something else is someone else. Um, the next phase is, is addressing those things. You know, I, I'm listening to you thinking, need to go and have a session. You know, yeah. had a great session back in March with somebody, um, did a bit of work on something. And, you know, it's a process. It, life, in an, and I remember driving um, on the M4 with my son to see very good friends in Bristol. And I was listening to Ian Watson on a podcast. And um, he said, this was early in my training. Healing is a process, not an event. And I said to Tom, my son, can you write that down? And he goes, what, what, what? So write that down. Listening to a tape, you know, is that long ago? Yeah, yeah. And um, healing is a process, not an event, you know. And I'm engaged in the, in the process and I'm interested in that. And I want to be here on this planet at this point in time, in this consciousness, kind of, peeling back the layers, you know, um, that's the way I'm wired. But many people would listen to what you, you've said or, or, or perhaps, you know, somebody said, oh, have you thought about doing that? They might be, well, there's nothing wrong with me. What do you mean? You know, it's like what's your relationship to, to that kind of uh, challenge or concept about change? You know, and I think that is a big thing that comes up, you know, at, at menopause at this time of change. It's called the change um, is the, the, what is your relationship to dealing with change and that aha moment yeah. that happens in the therapist space? You know, well, because the thing that really, like, was, so one thing is, I, I, I try to share as many things in my life where it's quite embarrassing because I'd be a hypocrite if I asked people to communicate and then don't share my own sort of <laughs> things that have held me up in life. But what really astounded me, and it was. You know, it astounded me at the time to the point that I was quite dismissive of it. And then on the journey home and a few days later, and um, I was just like, I'd never, I literally up until that moment had forgotten that I even mm-hmm. had, that she was even my girlfriend. Yeah. I'd like that sort of summer holidays that we were together. And before that, we, I think we were together for a few months, but it was just like, wow i i i i couldn't i couldn't if you'd have asked me like can you remember all your girlfriends she she would never have appeared on that list yeah because i'd completely forgotten who she was i'd forgotten about the guy Stephen telling me about it and i suddenly remembered all of these names and i could i even now remember where we were sitting on some swings where we used to hang around in a park but that that's about all i remember from a six-month relationship Mm. is about five minutes in a park sitting on swings i don't ever remember any other conversation with her i don't ever remember being anywhere but i met her at a disco and we'd gone to that disco over a hundred times probably i'd known her for a couple of years but the only actual memory i have is us kissing on the swings and that certainly wasn't the first time we kissed i do remember we were enthusiastic but it is (laughs) but it's amazing that when I went into a hypnotic state uh, with Vinnie Shawman at one of his breakthrough days, that 
that's where it took me. Mm -hmm. A place that if you had asked me, I wouldn't have remembered. Yeah. But that is the, the, you know, it's, I think remembering is a very interesting word, isn't it? Because members are parts and it's remembering, it's putting back together a part which became broken for a reason or, or fractured or forgotten, you know, whatever we, whatever the label is for the particular situation. But it's sort of like, you know, what didn't, you know, and I often think this is about things like brain fog, you know, a memory. It's like maybe there's something you, you don't want to remember, yeah. you know, so I've forgotten everything. Well, it's like maybe, maybe, you know, and so there can be a big aspect. And I talked about this. One of the things I do actually, little resources, I, I try every Monday at six, you were saying about regular stuff to do 10 minute menu on Instagram. And I just talk about different things. You know, last week we, I talked about brain fog and trauma and how if there's trauma in the way, and it could be, you know, a previous period of time in your life when you were anxious, that comes up as the point from which you, you don't remember that that memory becomes an issue you don't want to remember that you don't want to connect with that that you know reconnecting can be painful as well and I think that's something that you and I both hold space for is that yeah. it takes you know bravery and courage and I guess that's what I'm saying about going into the therapeutic space you know is is a I've got an issue you know I'm I I am anxious or I'm feeling depressed or I'm feeling low that is your body trying to say we need to do something about it and um the challenge is what and do i have the courage do i have the support you know and i'm sure you're the same as me when someone comes in and they do have got to that place of recognition that there needs to be change and um acknowledgement that there is a process to go through that there's recognition of that bravery to share the story you know courage to share yeah. the story and an acknowledgement that reconnecting isn't always pain-free, you know, because you disconnected because you're in pain. Because, like I said, you know? if, if we, if I look at this, like, and and I'll I'll, I'll t try and tie this up to a possibility with menopause, right? Yeah. If I look at that now as a forty-seven-year-old male today, who's just for the record a confident kisser, right? Is <laughs> I feel the need to defend that now. Is uh, <laughs> but I'm forty seven. Yeah, I'm forty seven years old. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm forty seven years old. I'm outgoing. I'm confident. I have a podcast. I, I can talk about things openly, right? So, but my rational brain, going back to what we were saying earlier, my rational brain is like that's stupid. It it doesn't affect you. Yeah. But yeah. when I go under when under a hypnotic state. You can either call it your inner child, if you if we want to go, it's my inner child, it's my subconscious, but it created a pain point, which whether yeah. I was aware of it or not, would have carried through to every relationship I ever had, and vice versa. If you're a young child, uh, a female, and you're perhaps seeing an aunt, a mum, go through the menopause, you might not be aware of any emotional feelings you have towards that, that you witnessed 20 30 40 years ago but when it comes Great to your yeah. when it comes to your time it's like we're saying your subconscious doesn't care whether you're coming along hand in hand for a nice little walk or i'm going to drag you down kicking and screaming you're coming on the journey anyway and yeah. for me it just exposes 
the resources that are available, but how little we give credence to these things that could be quite important. Um, and like I said, because I'm a, I'm a 47 year old male, I can rationalize that as the most stupid thing going. What 10, 11 year olds know how to kiss, have relationships. There's no level of intimacy at that age, you know, not compared to the int intimacy on par with being an actual adult in a physical relationship where you're living yeah. with somebody for a long time, you know? Mm. Yeah. And, so what sort and we of shy away from that a lot of the time as well, not yes. actually doing it, but the intimacy, you know, within relationship. Exactly. And but what would that a, comes up, if if you're a young if you're a young girl or if you're a girl that's about to go into puberty and start a menstrual cycle, what what are you experiencing with women going through the menopause or about to start the menopause? Their behaviours, their attitudes, the conversations they're not having, and the conversations they are having. Is there suddenly an erratic behavior? And like I said, when I look at that as a standalone moment, there's so many mm. things around that that just makes no sense. Why should that in any way, shape or form be a pain point for me? But it was. Yeah. Whether I agree with it, whether I make fun of it, whether I can even today understand why that, that mattered, it doesn't matter. On a deep mm. level that I'm not in touch with it. It was there and was always mm. there, mm. but it, it mm. like you were saying earlier about the onion layers and it, mm. and it is like an echo. The layers are almost like an echo. It, it doesn't matter if you understand where the first sound came from. It still repeats itself. You just, you just bury it under other experiences and probably attach other experiences as a cause. But when you get down to the root, the seed was different. Yeah, and absolutely. And I think I think also what comes out of that is not just attaching other experiences as the potential cause, but also that that experience flavors the other experiences or or your expression in those places or whatever is that. Yeah. And I think it is it is subtle. Um, and, I, you know, even coming back to looking at fertility that we were talking about earlier, the signs that, you know, we are fertile are subtle so so for women it's it is often this subtlety that's coming up and the more we talk about it the more it is good to have someone say perhaps that's menopause you know and then to encourage a conversation yeah. and you know some action taken um you know i put um somebody put something on um talking about something completely different but on facebook today and, uh, you know, they said, oh, thankfully, more and, more and more people are waking up. And I said, well, recently, you know, I found myself saying, it, yeah, it's one thing waking up. It's quite another getting out of bed, putting your feet on the floor, having a wash, getting changed and going out the front door and doing something about it. <laughs> you know? yes, yes. Sometimes when I hear people say, like, they're waking up and I, I, there's a cynic in me that says, no, you're still seeing what you want to see. You're just justifying mm -hmm. it better. Yeah, <laughs> waking up is look, look from from a, a menopause point of view. Waking up is accepting the menopause is happening. Exactly, and that's huge. It is huge yeah. because everything in our society um, is geared towards uh, youth, longevity, and a kind of shiny, youthful kind of way. It doesn't see how we can 
Well, going back to what gracefully or attach anything, you know. Going back to what I was saying earlier about male erection. If you're a male of any age, right? Apart, you know, once you get into your forties and fifties, it's slightly different. But if you regularly wake up and there's no erection, you actually have a problem. Yeah, that's not healthy. It means there's something wrong with your lifestyle. And yeah, but like I said, we're lucky in a sense because literally, it's not standing up to attention. It's it's much more graphic, basically. It, yeah, it, as I said no. earlier, it literally is not staring you in the face anymore. Um, well, that's probably a good place to stop. <laughs> and again, Thanks, I yeah. will make sure all of the um, the links are in the description and the crib sheet when that comes and the Facebook group. Uh, I'll get them all of you on email. And everybody, please, anybody listening to this, if you have any questions, just get in touch with either one of us. Just just don't be silent. Yeah, and feedback would be great. You know, it was really good to have that feedback from the first session, even if it was third hand, you know, that, that women are finding it difficult to find solution. And it it's really a question of, you know, continuing to share and open up the conversation and make it okay to be having that conversation. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for asking me back. It's been really great as ever. <laughs> Talk around the houses. I like the bit about oranges. 